Amen. God bless you, preacher. God bless you, pastor. Just don't let them keep you, gentlemen. <laughs> Amen. That's a eerie feeling when that iron door slams behind you when you go in. I've been to a few prison revivals with Rock of Ages prison ministry, and so it was always uh, an experience. Yeah. I'll just leave it there. Uh, but it's, um, it's wonderful to be with you, dear folk, again tonight. I praise the Lord for his goodness. I, too, want to add my appreciation to the fine ladies who labored so diligently to have the good meals yesterday and then again on today after the morning service. And then what a blessing it is to come in such a beautiful, clean facility and someone had to do all that work. And I agree with Brother Key about that. You don't have to be a song leader, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, or even a member of the choir to be a servant of the Lord. And God is going to reward his servants. So I want to commend you for the fine job you have done and this dear pastor for all that he labored and put together with the help of the Lord and, of course, the supporting church. The fine place you have given us to stay, we could not ask for a finer room than you have provided. We had a wonderful meal last evening at a restaurant. And then uh, the goodies that you put in the room and that we have delved into uh, myself at least twice. I don't know how many times. I didn't count the time my wife was into them. But we surely do appreciate that. And all of your kindness and grace, your kind words, and your purchasing of my books, thank you so very much for all you've done. And you have made this uh, weekend just a wonderful one for my wife and I. And it's going to stand out in memory for many days to come. So, and I love you, Pastor. I want you to know that. And I thank uh, God for him putting him here and your acceptance of him and, of course, your support of him. And so we're going back to the 19th Psalm and... Um, I just gave you this morning some things the good Lord gave us as we uh, were studying uh, on this, getting some type of an introduction to all that is here. There are volumes that might be written concerning the material that's in this one psalm of 14 verses. Now, we're not going to reread the psalm. Uh, we read it on this morning, but we will point out things as we go through it. And so we're talking to you about the greatness of God's glory, a subject that it would take an eternity uh, to preach. And so I, I want to begin with prayer. And I invite you, please, to unite with me before the throne of grace. I ask you to pray with me and to pray for me. 
Before we pray, I want to say it's amazing because I was going to ask the pastor that someone sang that song, No Need to Doubt Him Now. And so you just did it. And so I'm glad the Lord will give us the desires of our heart. And who could have a reason to doubt him? Because he has never failed in one thing he has promised. You remember when Joshua was about to pass off the scene, he said that not one thing has failed uh, that the Lord has said unto you. And so we've all experienced that. So let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have this evening to open the scriptures, to be in this assembly of saints. I thank you for everyone who is here and every home that is represented. I pray for the brethren who will be going to the prison in a little while. You'll give them protection. You will give them wisdom. And I pray they will have an impact that will have eternal value upon the hearts and lives of those men incarcerated. Now, I pray that you will help me bring to my remembrance those things we have studied and prepared and use us in this hour to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We offer our thanksgiving and we make our prayer in the name of Jesus Amen and amen. Now this morning, it did not come to mind, but we were talking a little bit about the stars. My grandson graduated from the University of Georgia with a double major, and he graduated with honors. One major was geology, And the other major was atmospheric science. And he now is enrolled and just finished his first year at the uh, Colorado State University. His job is uh, he has something to do with the weather satellites. And so his wisdom, I can't even talk to him very long. He loses me real quickly. But when I was writing my book on uh, Christ unveiling the glory of God, I, I called him and uh, I, I asked him, I said, Spencer, how many stars are there? And he said, there's no way of knowing. But he gave me two figures and I could not remember them. So I texted him a while ago and he answered me and he said it is somewhere between 10 to the 22nd power and 10 to the 24th power. So that is 10 with 24 zeros following it. Now that's what they know that is out there. And then he concluded with this pastor He said, there are more stars than there are grains of sand upon the earth. Now, if that's not enough to stagger your imagination, I do not know what is. And you remember that 
uh, he just made the stars also. And John Phillips said this, that proves that God is far more interested in souls than he is stars. So that's a, that's a good statement, is it not? Now, let me begin tonight by saying that God is great, and we talked just a little bit about that. I'm not using this for repetition, but simply to add something to what I said on this morning, that God is great. In Isaiah chapter 44, 5 and 6, at least 11 times, God said through Isaiah's pen, there is no God but me. And so we're all fixed on that. We know that is the exact truth. And then I was reading one day in Revelation chapter 1, and I came down to verse 8 where the Lord Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. And this last word really caught my attention, the Almighty. And so I began to study that word that is translated Almighty. And the best I can define that word is simply this, beyond which there is no other. And so this group that's traveling our land that says Jesus Christ never claimed to be God should study the Bible that they claim to believe and know more about it than true Bible believers believe about the word of God. We read in the Bible, God is good. And how many times in the Psalms that appears, I did know. In fact, I took that text on a Wednesday evening in our church when I pastored and I preached on this text, God is good. And we all got to agree to that, but it's not only found in the Psalms, it's found in other portions of the scripture as well. And I said on this morning that God is gracious and he is gracious. And Paul writing to the church at Corinth in his second epistle said he is able to make all grace abound towards you. And I don't know how much grace that God has in store for each one of his children, but I assure you of one thing, he has enough. And he is not going to run out till we see him face to face. And however much it's going to take, one preacher said it like this, I'm thankful that God did not just give us the heap of grace he had for us at the onset of our Christian life. But now most of us would have used it up already. But he said he just dispenses enough as we go along to help us. And I know I'm looking in the face of those tonight who realize the valuableness of the grace of God. I don't think anything is more valuable than that. And when John Newton wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, uh, what is it that you could say beyond that? Amazing, and simply that it is, and God has enough for you and die. 
Amen. And he's not about to run out. And then here is something he says in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11. I said on this morning that something about the gloriousness of God and God is glorious. And he had this to say, I will not give my glory unto another. Now that's something to think about. Because we know Jesus talked about the glory that God had given him. And then Jesus said, that glory that thou hast given me, I have given them. So there is a certain phase of God's glory that each one of us who are saved by his grace enter into. There is a phase of God's glory that's reserved fully for him. And we can never enter into that. But I'm glad just to get a taste of it along the way, aren't you? When God opens up his wondrous scriptures and begins to show us something about his gloriousness. And I want to say and how blessed I am that God has decreed to make it known. Even though he said I'm not going to give this special glory unto anyone else. No one else is going to be able to share in that. Of course Jesus Christ is God. We know that. We don't have to prove that to you. But I want you to know that he did decree to make it known. God has made a decree that even though man cannot enter into it, I will make it known. There are three ways he makes it known in this psalm. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to make a statement. I do not know where three verses in succession has more glorious content concerning Almighty God than the opening three verses of Hebrews. And I want to say that, and I'm not trying to sell a book, but in those three opening verses, there are seven ways in which Christ lifts the veil off of God's glory and reveals it unto mankind. And that's why Christ did come to make known God. We quoted that verse this morning, John chapter 1 and verse uh, 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. He has shown him. And my Bible professor, which could talk uh, away up above our heads, I left the class many times with my head spinning and I just couldn't catch what he was talking about. But he preached at Brother Larry Rain's camp meeting, how did the Son of God get out of God's bosom and get on the throne beside him? And he showed us that Calvary was in view and Calvary was necessary for all of that. I can't even, I can't even talk in that realm. But anyway, he proved that in that camp meeting. I'm telling you, you talk of what's eternity going to be for the child of God. It's going to be a learning process. We're just going to continue to learn and learn and learn about God. It will 
will take an eternity to learn about him and in all his greatness. Now, here are the three ways. Number one is his mighty power of creation. And that's in the opening six verses of this psalm. And God did create the heaven and the earth. All things were created for him and by him, or by him and for him. He is the creator. I remember hearing, I think I alluded to this this morning, but Dr. B.R. Lakin preaching in 1974 at Camp Zion, Myrtle, Mississippi, the only power conference that I ever went to. But at this particular conference, Dr. Lakin was preaching. And he was preaching the, his famous sermon, Why I Know There Is a God. And I don't remember all that he said, but I do remember this incident or this illustration that he used. He said his grandson had been to college and came home. And he said, Grandpa, he said, my biology teacher said that it is a biological impossibility for a virgin to give birth to a child. And Dr. Lakin, in his humorous mannerism of saying things, he said, I'm going to tell you what a biological impossibility is. He said how something got into nothing and it swam around in a pool of slime for a long, long period of time and it made its way over to the shore of that pool of slime. It grew warts on its belly and it crawled out upon the land and those warts became legs. And so he began to walk on all fours and he he came to a tree and he climbed this tree, went out on a limb, wrapped his tail around that limb and hanged down and his tail broke off. And he hit the ground standing uh, straight up and he walked across the street, bought him a suit of clothes and he's teaching in our universities. Now he said that is a biological impossibility. But I'm telling you, when we read, and I just touched on it minutely, my wife said, you, you, in so many words, you were in such deep water this morning. I said, over my head. And when you get to trying to figure out and bring together to the mind of man all that's involved in God creating the heaven and the earth, it just goes beyond what we're able to put together. Now, the second way, and my land, I love this, and I'd like just to hang on this the rest of the time, but I'm not going to do that. But in verses 7 through 11, his glory is made known through his miraculous perfection of the scriptures. Amen. And it takes a miracle. That's the only way we've got the Bible today. If you have the Bible beside you in your lap, wherever it is, you have a miracle. 
Amen. Because man, if he could, he would destroy that. If man had a means, he would climb into heaven and rip out that word of God that is forever settled. But he does not have that means. Amen. No one has ever came down from heaven and went back but one. And he is the word incarnate. And so God Almighty has perfectly preserved this book that we have before us. We call the Bible or the word of God. And the third means of God's glory being revealed here is in the last uh, three or four verses, three, yes, four verses, and that's 12 through 14, and that's his merciful performance in the heart of man. And so all of this reveals to us what the glory of God is all about. All three of these are wonderful. God came to this earth in the person of the Son, of course, to reveal his purpose and his power and his person. Jesus Christ was the very person of God Almighty walking upon the face of this earth. And when we come to 1 John and it talks about uh, the, the, uh, he that does not believe uh, that Jesus Christ is, is God, that it's of another spirit, and it's the spirit of the Antichrist. And that, but I want to say that there's more that is meant there than that Jesus Christ was of God and born in the flesh. But it means that the God of the Old Testament enrobed himself in flesh and came to this earth to make himself known. Now I cannot put all of these things together. And I've had all types of questions asked me before. One fellow said, well, if Jesus Christ was God, who was he praying to in the Garden of Gethsemane? That stumped me for a while, but I studied a little bit on it. Who was he praying to? Because he prayed unto the Father. But how was he praying and who was praying? God has no need to pray. But I want to say that Jesus Christ was more than God Almighty. He was perfect man. And so as a perfect man, Jesus Christ was praying unto God the Father. And as man, he had a will. Yes, sir. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, this is my will that this cup Pass from me. Amen. He was not praying to get out of the cross. No, we know better than that. But he, I think there was four things that took place on that uh, cross. And when he looked into that cup. Now here is a situation. Here is perfect man looking into that cup. And in that cup are the dregs of the worst sins on the face of this earth. I'm telling you, I'm talking about sins beyond anything that most of us in here have ever been involved in, beyond all of that. And Christ had to drink that. And if he did not drink that, 
He could not die for that sin and pay for that sin. That's why I say, and listen, I'm not trying to be rude or off color here, but in that cup were the dregs of sodomy. In that, in that cup were the drugs of thievery. And we could go on and on. Here is a perfect man who never had one evil thought who never did one evil thing, who never went to one evil place. He was perfect through and through. He was perfect God. He was perfect man. Amen and amen. And here is a perfect man having to drink the worst of the worst that walked upon the face of the earth. He saw that. He had to drink that. He must become sin. Amen. God hath made him to be sin for us. Hallelujah. Amen. That we might be made the righteousness of God. And if he had not become sin, all we could ever hope to do would be to be clothed in his righteousness. But I want you to know it's better than that. We're not only clothed in it, but we're made the righteousness of God through and through what Christ did when he went to the cross. But I think, Pastor, I think there was sorrow. God would be sorrowful. There was suffering. Almighty God had to suffer pain. There was sin. He had to become that sin. But I think the thing that he saw in that cup that made him shrink back in his holy man nature was he saw separation. There would never be a time that God the Son, God the Father had ever been separated because they were one. Amen. They were one. But there would come a time when God would turn his back on the sin barrier of the world. And he would cry out. You see, when Jesus cried out on the cross, he, he, he cried out. He didn't cry out, my father, my father. But he cried, my God, my God. Why, sinner, God is not the sinner's father. And Christ had become the sin of the whole world. And he now is in the place of a sinner crying out under the wrath of God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't want to go through that. But he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done and some people says that God will not put people in hell you turn down salvation and you'll find out and I'm not trying to be crude but I'm telling you that is right amen all that the God of glory has done that mankind be saved And man turned his nose up at God, brazen his face toward him and stiffened his neck toward Almighty God and pass up what God has done that your never dying soul might be saved and become the very righteousness of God. I'll tell you right now, hell is waiting for all of those people. 
Now the point I want to make here is simply this. He came to the earth to reveal and make known God Almighty. Man could see him. 1 John chapter 1. Man could walk with him. Man could touch him. Man could talk with him. Man could eat with him. And man could learn of him. That's why he has come. Now you contrast this with Satan's camouflaging everything that he's ever done. The advertising agencies know how to always put out uh, the elite. Here is the lady dressed in black velvet with diamonds everywhere on her hands and gold necklaces advertising some alcoholic beverage. They're not about to put up there the drunk wallowing in his vomit in in the ditch and they're not about to put there that woman who had everything going well for her and because of alcohol now she's in tattered rags and and now her complexion is gone and all of her beauty is gone. Hey, I'm telling you, I had two uncles that died alcoholics and you don't have to tell me anything about that. I was visiting both of them before they died. One was in a coma and gone so far. All I could do is bow down to his ear and whisper him scripture and tell him how to be saved. Yes. And the other one was already gone a few days. He died after I'd visited him. He had a ventilator. He could not talk. And so all I could do again was give him scripture. I know what alcohol has done. Being a pastor 45 and a half years and going in homes, I know what alcohol is. And I think it was uh, William Booth or maybe Mrs. Booth, I don't remember which one it was, that named it the devil's juice. And they did a good job, and that's exactly what it is. Alcohol has never helped anybody. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? We had two men in our church when I first went there, and uh, one of them had just quit when I got there, and the other one, his name was Benny. And Benny and his wife were there, faithful in church. And I was visiting him one night, and the story came up about this other man who had left the church, no longer came. And I said, I wonder what happened to him. And he said, I'll tell you what happened to him, Brother Jones. I said, I sure would appreciate it. He said, well, he said, we both had the same kidney disease. And we went to the same doctor. And the doctor told both of us the same thing. He said, what you need to do every day of your life, drink one can of beer. And he said, that will help your condition. I don't even know what the condition was. And he said, this other fella, I don't want to call his name. I know him. No, he's dead now. I know who he I know his name, but anyway, he said he took the doctor's advice and he began to drink a can of beer a day. And Benny said, I told myself, I prayed about it, and I told God, God, I'm going to trust you 
to take care of me, I am not going to start drinking beer. And so Benny didn't. And so, but the other fella, the alcohol got such a grip on him, he was even taking it to work in his lunchbox. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's the way the devil does. He camouflages everything. He puts the beauty of it and the glory of all. Let me say there's nothing glorious about sin. Amen. Sin bringeth forth death. Amen. And it will every time. It'll bring death in my life. Sister, it'll bring death in your life. It'll bring death in this dear pastor's life and all of your lives out there. Sin is nothing to play with. Amen. It is no toy. It is a trap to ensnare you and pull you deep within its clutches. Well, I'm getting away from my text. But anyway, I thought I needed to say that. Now, I want you to know God reveals and makes. God shows you the end in the beginning. And all the devil ever shows you is the beginning. He's not about to show you the end because he knows he's not going to snare you into that. And through all of his devices and his wiles and his transformations that he does, everything that he does. And I want you to know he's the enemy of our soul. Now, we must stand in awe at the heavens. God, in creating them, showed forth the work of the Redeemer. All the way, God wrote this in the constellations at the original creation of the earth, okay, when God created it. And when the sun each year passed through the 12 signs of the zodiac, God's picture of redemption had been written in the heavens, all the way from the virgin birth to the humiliation that he suffered, his defeat of Satan, Amen. And when he comes back to reign upon the face of the earth, all of that. And every year, the whole story of redemption, man was able to see. But we come to Genesis chapter 11 to a character named Nimrod. And he was the son of Cush and the son of Ham. And so he said, let us make us a name and let us build us a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And you've seen all of these um, pictures of the artist concept of uh, conception, excuse me, of people building a tower and supposedly to go into heaven. That's not the picture at all. But what he did when he built that tower, let us make us a name, let us be a people, he built that tower and the top of that tower resembled the heavens that God, that's what was in his mind. And he went that far and the top of that tower resembled heaven. But what he did, he changed the 
zodiac signs. And today, they're called the horoscope. And uh, I heard a lady say one morning, I never leave my house without reading my horoscope. I thought, I don't read my house without, leave my house without reading my Bible. Amen. I'm not interested in what Nimrod thought. Nimrod was of the devil and he wanted to corrupt exactly what God had done. So I hope there's no one in here that believes in the horoscope. That's demonic. That's of the devil. I've even seen it on bumper stickers. I've seen it in license plates. I've seen it on necklaces uh, that people wear. Amen. I'm telling you, God wrote the truth in the heaven. And the devil changed the truth into a lie. And we read that in the scriptures. And that's just one thing that he has done. God is God. So we stand in awe when we view the heavens. We stand in awe at the holy word of God. Not only that he has proclaimed it, but that he has preserved it. And look with me now as we go on into verse 7. The word of God is powerful. Because it is the law of the Lord. And anything that God, that comes out of God, that is of God, must have power associated with it. And so the word of God is powerful. I preached that, when was it, Friday night? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. All right, now I didn't get to this portion of it. Maybe that's why God didn't let me get to it and change me to the other text that I used on yesterday morning. But it has power to convict. You know why this preacher preaches the Bible? And doesn't tell a lot of graveside stories to try to scare you into making a a decision for Christ. You know why he preaches the Bible? Because the Bible is the power. Amen. That's the power that will convict us. I'm telling you, stories and sad tales, and some people call them graveyard tales, and maybe they are, they'll move us emotionally. But I want more than that's going to move me emotionally. Amen. See, there's three things involved. Boy, I'm going, I can't help it, preacher. Too much liberty, but thank God for every drop of it. I mean, there's three things involved in a man's salvation. His mind must be involved. And the prodigal came to himself. That's his mind. And then he began to think when he got his mind right. He began to think, I'm perishing with hunger. And the servants in my father's house... I'm a son, but the but the servants in my father's house has more, has bread and bread to spare. I believe is the terms he said. So now he said, uh, "I'm going to rise. I'm, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to my father." Amen. That's his emotions. Right. That's as far as some people ever get. Right. 
is mind and emotion. But the next verse said, and he arose and went. That's his will. And all three of these were involved in man's salvation. Now, this is not going to hit the periodicals because they're going to shoot that down. But I'm giving you what the Bible says. Mind, emotion, and will of man is involved in our salvation. I thank God for the day when the Lord used a preacher and he preached the Bible. I'd heard the Bible preached ever since I, well, I was carried to church before I was ever born. And and so I, I was in church and no telling how much gospel I had heard. But that morning, God pinpointed it to my heart. And I was made to see through the preaching of the word what I was and what I needed to do. And I'm glad at that moment I surrendered to the fact that I need to be saved and trusted Jesus Christ to save my soul. And I've been saved ever since. But that wasn't the power of the preacher. That was no story he told. It was the pure and unadulterated word of God. So there's power in it uh, here to uh, convict And there's power to convert. Amen. There's power to console. I'm telling you, sometimes in our lives, Pastor, and I know you've been there. You've never told me one thing, but there's been times you've just almost kind of been down. You've been disappointed and you've been hurt so bad and people that you've trusted in have walked off and left you and people who swore their allegiance to you now are nowhere to be found and stood up and swore allegiance to this church and in a short period of time walked out. I'm telling you, that will burden this pastor and every time a member of this church goes out there's a piece of his heart that goes with them and we open the scriptures and we begin to read we read where Jesus said or John said marvel not if the world hate you And Jesus said, if the world hates you, it hated, know that it hated me before it hated you. And then we're reminded why we have to go through a lot of things that we do. There's no one knows what it means to be deserted like Jesus. This band, even after the traitor has been dismissed, so he could not have any impact upon the leaven that were still with him. But the Bible said when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, all forsook him and fled. Now I want you to know, it was not just Peter who said, we'll not leave you. Every one of them said that. And here Jesus says, all alone, do you ever feel all alone? Go to him. Amen. No one knows what it's like to be alone. Amen. But him. Yes, sir. He really knows That's right. what it's like to be deserted. Yes. He knows all about defection. And on and on we can go. We open this Bible or we go to a meeting somewhere 
And God's preacher gets up and he begins to preach. And we understand through this word, it brings comfort. What did Paul say to those saints at Thessalonica who thought because their loved ones had died that they would miss the rapture and and they wouldn't know anything about it and they would just be dead and Paul comforted them concerning all of that. And then at the verse 18, he said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Amen. I thank God for the comfort I've received from the scripture. Sometimes pastor just in reading it and sometimes sometimes just in a testimony that somebody stands and testifies and I said, hey, I'm not in this alone. Hey man, there's other people going through what I have gone through. You know, Satan loves to put you off in a corner somewhere and make you feel like you're the only one that's having a hard time and everything is dark around you. Oh no, there's plenty. There's plenty and sometimes it just takes a testimony, amen, to set my soul afire and put me back out in running the race again. I'm telling you, this word of God is powerful. It's powerful to console. It's powerful to construct. It'll construct our lives the way God wants it to be. And it's powerful to conduct. It will lead. Amen. We, if we will walk in the law of the Lord, God will lead us and direct us as we need to go from time to time. And then I like this. It has power to constrict. Do you ever want to do something so bad? Boy, you set your heart on doing it, and all of a sudden the scripture comes to your mind. And you say, I can't do that. The Bible teaches me I'm not supposed to do that. God is not our enemy. This Bible's not our enemy, it's our friend. And it does not want us to get involved in things that's going to cause heartache and trouble on down the line. Well, my time was up three minutes ago. Listen, now I'm not on a time limit. Don't think that. But I try to keep it around 40 to 45 minutes because I have sat where you sit. And I have learned this through the years that the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. And so I try to keep that in mind. All right? The law of the Lord is not only powerful. Boy, I'd like to stay here. Let me just read it and I'm done, okay? But it's perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. That means it's undefiled. That is without blemish. That is without spot. That means it's complete. That means it's entire. And in it are all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then listen, the word of God is plain. Verse 7, testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I can't can't, uh, recall, was it uh, Brother, uh, Brother Shelton preaching yesterday afternoon talked about a uh, man with a sixth grade education. The Re- no, that was Keys. Br- Brother Reese Keys. Uh, see, our Bible, they, they tried, they said they tried 
to get something easier to read. Do you know the King James Bible is written on a fifth to seventh grade reading level? Back in the hills of Tennessee, there were all kinds of men, and I suppose in the hills of North Carolina as well, that never finished high school. But I'm going to tell you right now, they can open that book and bring you out a word. Hey, I knew a man one time that couldn't read his name in boxcar letters. My wife and I met him in Tampa, Florida. His name was Junior Gravely. Man of God. When he and God called him to preach, and a lot of people made fun of him and laughed at him because he could not read. And God called him to preach. And there was a group of people over there that nobody wanted. Just a bunch of poor people run down facilities. And Brother Gravely said, I I think I'll go over there and see if they'd have me. And he went over there and they accepted him as a pastor. And he couldn't even read his text and he'd have his wife stand up and read it. And he began to preach. And man, he would preach with a touch of God on. He's got, you talk about, you remember Brother Combs? He's got a similar testimony to that. And so anyhow, uh, he, he said this, and so he, he started uh, learning how to read. And he did learn how to read. He went over, he told this story, i got to quit. But he told this story, he went over to the bank to borrow money. And so they loaned him money, and they put that <laughs> signature card or loan for a signature, and he just put a big X there. And they accepted that. And so his wife would read his text, and he would preach. People started getting saved. He learned how to read. Oh, he can read today. And he can still preach. That church began to grow. It was unreal. They built a new building and everything. He said, all those fellas that wouldn't have it before would sure like to have it now. <laughs> I said, they're not going to get it. God put me here and I'm stay- I'm done. Praise the Lord. Bless you. You pastor of South Carolina? Yes, sir. I know him. Okay. He's had a meeting I was at last Amen. year. He's a he's He a looks jewel. just like Bob Barker off the Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Price is right. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a jewel. He's a jewel. Buddy. Boy, don't you love the word of God tonight? I appreciate I appreciate the good preaching today. And no, I didn't put him on a time limit. But I appreciate the good preaching from the Word of God. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, the Word of God is what's going to keep you in this thing. I told the men in the prayer room, uh, Brother Gravely, Brother Ricky Gravely, uh, he was here with us in January. He'll be with us next year. Uh, he preached Monday night in the Jubilee. I was in on Jeremiah wanting to quit. And out of Jeremiah 20, and he said, Jeremiah said, I won't make mention anymore. He said, but his word was in me as a consuming fire. He said, you know what kept Jeremiah going? The word of God that was in him. And he said, the reason that people quit and they get out is because they don't put the word of God in their heart. There's some truth to that, ain't it? Thank God for the good preaching. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Brother Jones, 